Hello everyone, I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. And welcome to Animates. Today is the first episode of season four of Animates, in which it's tentatively being called The Renaissance Continued, um, where we explore a number of shows that we've been told um, or speculate might be uh, worthy of inclusion in the sort of anime renaissance pantheon. And we're kicking that off with an excellent show that premiered in 2010, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Now, it, uh, sh- it should be stated that I've seen some people really dislike this show. Like, they're, you know, typical internet blog blogarians who are just like, is this the death of Scooby-Doo? I say fuck them because they're wrong. <laughs> but there, it isn't universally agreed that this is like a good Scooby-Doo show or whatever. I, I don't share that opinion. But just know that as we kind of go into this area, like... It's pretty universally agreed that shows like Steven Universe, regular show, Adventure Time, are just unequivocally good shows. Like, good quality, agreed to be, like, won a ton of awards. As we start to explore newer properties or things we hear by word of mouth, they may fit in this period, but they may not be as universally acclaimed yeah, so this premiered in April of 2010, so that puts it right in there with regular show. It was, and it aired on Cartoon Network, so it was a part of the same slate of new programming as regular show, as Adventure Time, you know, uh, part of the, it was part of the same milieu, you know, a part of this particular turn for the network. It's also the 11th iteration of Scooby-Doo, which has been like a tremendously successful property. It was Hanna-Barbera's, I think, most successful property of all time. They kept making knockoffs over it of it over and over again, which we will probably uh, be mentioning later on in the episode due to some things that happened to the show. And I will have to say that from my perspective, this was a very respectfully made you know, update to Scooby-Doo. I think that it retained the essence of the original Scooby-Doo. It did not disrespect it. It didn't create it into something that was completely different while still, you know, zhuzhing it up a little bit, making it a little more modern, bringing in some elements that hadn't been a part of Scooby-Doo before and doing something new. I agree. I think it's going to be interesting because eventually we will go back and I think we should do the original. Oh, yeah. Scooby-Doo. But mm-hmm. if if this is one of the 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 times where I agree, clearly the creators were, were fans of Scooby-Doo. I mean, the voice cast was interesting because it included some originals, but also like the the actors from the live action Scooby-Doo's of the early aughts, which is a freaking blast from my childhood jesus um were were voiced characters on the show clearly this was like a show made by fans but and this is kind of where it gets interesting is that you bring in all of these other nerdy like qualities that Mm -hmm. sort of define 
sci-fi mystery horror of the aughts onwards. So, for mm-hmm. example, uh, multicultural, like looking at different times and cultures, um, mm-hmm. you see more a little bit more color, like ethnically and racially than than yes, and, and it's mostly better. There's still some stuff that I'm just like, eh, but <laughs> way better than the original show. Like like a good improvement I in think. terms of like cultural sensitivity, quote unquote wokeness. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a lot of Lovecraft, like a very heavy Lovecraftian bent, which has been a huge mm-hmm. trend post 2000. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot of great stuff getting mixed in here to update it from like modern sensibilities, because like Scooby Doo is airing. Like, when? When did... I actually don't remember when Scooby-Doo originally was created. I'm pretty sure the original Scooby-Doo Where Are You um, was aired in 1969. Jesus. It was in 1969. That's the same year my mom was born. So we... Um, no, I will say, my mom is a huge, huge Scooby-Doo fan. And... I think that it really says a lot that and like my mom's had issues with some different iterations of Scooby-Doo. And I felt comfortable saying to my mom, you should watch this. It's good. <laughs> I think that you will like it. Um, it, it. It's. It also is like one of the most like pop culture referential shows I've ever seen. And all of those references are being like. Look, we know that this property is at the time 40 years old. We know that everybody born from, you know, let's be generous and say 1955 on is intimately familiar with Scooby-Doo and has watched it a lot and that you're probably also going to be watching this. So it's referencing other classic Hanna-Barbera cartoons. It's referencing... Uh, science fiction literature it's referencing Twin Peaks um, uh, Rambo (laughs) like you know like just like tons and tons and tons of like movie and pop culture there's even one point when Daphne says to Fred Fred you're living in a van down by the river it's like referencing Chris Farley SNL you know it's like I'm not sure there were some that I'm sure I completely missed they just like fit so many references into like a square inch of of television and it somehow doesn't feel hokey i think it's because the show itself is hokey so it mm-hmm. it it's sort of like you know if you put if you make a confetti cake adding a weird flavor to that is not mm-hmm. doesn't feel bad cuz it's already a weird thing yeah, and I do appreciate that as well. It's like Scooby-Doo is silly. And they brought in they brought in some really cool long-form storytelling. They got like deep into like Babylonian mythology and things like that, and they treated that plot with with seriousness. But at the same time, at its heart, it was a very silly show, which I think that a lot of times when Scooby-Doo fails, it's uh, it's it's a failure to realize that it's fundamentally silly and that we're all strapped in for the camp, you know? It all, but it, it, it somehow manages to, to it, it maintains a facet, which is the monster of the week quality while mm-hmm. also having it be long form. I mean, the way that it mm-hmm. does this is that 
every mystery is sort of self-contained for the most mm-hmm. part. But at the end or the beginning, they get involved with that mystery due to long form plot reasons. So it manages to both like insulate each arc, each like mystery so that it, you can treat it as its own sort of funny thing. But it, it, it sort of like builds the long game over the and it and it takes its time. That's why that yeah. works is because <laughs> it takes like two and a half seasons mm-hmm. for that long form mystery to really require every episode. To, to yeah, it's it's so well paced. It's crazy because something we talked about with like Adventure Time is that in the later seasons, the pacing is really weird because you'll have 10 episodes of just like admittedly really entertaining and, and, and uh, heartwarming filler. And then you'll have five straight episodes of like long form plot and it's just paced like really weird. And the final season of Steven Universe was that way, too. You know, some of these more renaissance shows just have issues. They have issues with pacing, whereas this show, like, clearly, like, it did not. It was paced so beautifully. The way that, like, the information about the long-form mystery was, like, just dribbled and drabbed out there and how it suddenly starts to, like, really ramp up midway through season two until, like, we just are focused on that, you know? Um, Like, it's impressive. It's impressive how well-paced it is. Yeah, so just some basic information about the show, um, just to kind of get get people in. Uh, ultimately, this is a Hanna-Barbera show, and uh, it was actually, I think, one of the last ones before the studio went under. Um, but it, of course, is based on Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? It was, uh, it had, there were a variety of writers and directors, but... Uh, ultimately, it was developed by Mitch Watson, Spike Brandt, and Tony Savone. And the 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 cast of the show features some great voice talents. Um, so I I really wanted um, oh my god Linda Cardinelli to be the voice of Velma because she voiced she was Velma in like the live action adaptations and to my wonderful surprise she did appear on the show just not as Velma Um, yeah but I'm getting ahead of myself so (laughs) uh, Velma Dinkley is voiced by Mindy Cohn Um, she's voiced other stuff and has been on other shows Um, Fred was voiced by Frank Welker who if I'm not mistaken is the original Fred Maybe he sounds just like him. Let me check. Um, um So this is one of those cases where somebody yes. somebody has lived and been a voice actor for long enough that they keep voicing Fred. I fucking love that. That's great because it just gives this really wonderful, ineffable continuity to the property. Yeah, he has been the voice of Fred. Since 1969. Um, and he's been the voice of Scooby-Doo since 2002. Um, Gray Delisle has been the voice of Daphne since, um, I don't know what year it was. It was Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chase. What year was that? 2001. 
um, because the original voice of Daphne um, unfortunately committed suicide, um, uh, but she was succeeded. And then um, Matthew Lillard, who was Shaggy in the live action adaptation, has voiced Shaggy for um, for this show as well. Which, by the way, he's got, like, he's great. I love, I love. He his, does a great job. He does a great Shaggy. And I, he's got, I, I, he's got a stoner voice. He does. <laughs> he's got a stoner. And Shaggy is definitely a fucking stoner. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so this is one of those, those cases where the, the actor just kind of has a great voice for, for this character. And he seems to like it. I think he has fun doing it, too. Uh, so there are in, in terms of like the supporting cast, like they're frequently ref- like c- characters that keep coming back up. Um, my favorite is that Lewis Black vo- voices yes, a main character. I love that. Oh, voices my a main God. character on this show, Mr. Mm-hmm. E, who is like um, a, a bit initially is like a big mysterious figure, but eventually kind of takes a big part in the plot and then kind of takes a a backseat. Um, Linda Cardinelli, who played Velma in the movies, is the character Marcy Fleach, who goes by Hot Dog Water. There's some socioeconomic issues that I want to get into with that. But yeah. um, she ends up being a frenemy, just a friend later on in the end, and also literally gets killed off screen. Um, it's fucking crazy in a scooby yeah, It's heartbreaking, show. yeah. Um, th- some other people, like Vivica Fox, has a voice role on this show. What? Uh, as, yeah, Cassidy. She, she voices Cassidy. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah, so Vivica A. Fox voices Cassidy Williams, who's uh, initially kind of like a groovy radio show host that the kids kind of gather around and ends up being like a big deal. Um, Patrick Warburton is in fucking everything. He's literally in yeah. fucking everything, and he's yeah, also his, in this show. His voice is just so good, you know. My favorite part about that. So we're gonna talk about this. This is a Hanna Barbera property, and they clearly established that this show takes place in the Hanna Barbera universe because um, Di- uh, Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt show up. And not not like in a dream or whatever. Like they actually are real, and and like it's established that Quest Industries is real, and that like Doctor Bannon, like all of those people exist and are real in this universe. Well, which, my favorite. Well, I guess like the first way they show up is in a dream, so it's maybe not the same, but like. My favorite first reference to Hanna-Barbera outside of Scooby-Doo itself was when Scooby had a fever dream about the, like, teen mystery solvers finals. And it, like, it was all about the fact that Hanna-Barbera made so much money off Scooby-Doo that they just kept making the same show over and over again with different skins. And so there was there was Speed Buggy, there was the Funky Phantom, there was Captain Caveman. These were all about groups of several teens and a non-human mascot solving mysteries. 
So that's okay. You're right. That is a fever dream. But Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt don't show up in a dream. They are actually real. Yeah. Um, which means that Venture Brothers also exists in this universe, <laughs> which is fucking amazing. Like that is my interpretation, and I will fight anybody that says differently. Because hey, no one's no one's trying to fight you. Like no one's trying to that's fight you. that's fucking wonderful, and I love it. But um, that like Patrick Warburton happens to voice a character in Venture Brothers too. So it okay, yeah, right. Uh, Brock Sampson. So anyway, that oh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how I got from there to there. But Patrick mm-hmm. Warburton is the sheriff. He plays a very Patrick Warburton character. Um, mm-hmm. very tough, but also like sensitive, um, and stupid. Yeah. <laughs> a completely incompetent sheriff, Sheriff Bronson Stone. We find out at one point that his name is literally Sheriff. His first name is Sheriff. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, one of the titular villain, I say titular because he really is the villain up until the very end is Professor Pericles, who's a, a talking German parrot, voiced by Udo Kerr. Um, you have probably seen him in stuff. Okay, if, if I had to take a guess as to where people would have seen... He does a lot of live-action stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of something pretty recent, but... Um, I am drawing a blank. Yeah, I'm trying to because it's like he looks familiar to me as well, but he's also just been in so much stuff. I think he's that it's one, hard to. He's one of those people who is a like a side actor. In oh, he was in of, Blade, apparently. That's that's where I remember him from is Blade. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's got a very uh, German voice. <laughs> Like, I hate to say, like, he's got a very thick German accent. Yeah. One of those diabolical smooth, you know. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, he's like, like, he plays really small roles in all of Von Trier's movies. So if you like Lars Von Trier, you've definitely seen him in the background. Uh, And other, (laughs) like, other than that, I think those are like the biggies. So yeah. the, the show is set like these kids are in high school. They are in high school. And all of the this is a great nod. All the original like people that they have unmasked in the past in the original show, like basically all of those locations are roughly in the same municipality of Crystal it's Cove. It's hilarious. I love Crystal Cove. Crystal Cove is like a cute coastal town right by a desert, very close to some snowy mountains. There's also a swamp nearby. Like, it's just like Crystal Cove is everything and nothing. At one point, they're referencing the ocean that it's on and someone says Atlantic and someone else is like, no, it's the Pacific, you hack. <laughs> it's like everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Well, and, and they... um. There are huge cavernous underground places. There's a a sea lab and a volcano. Like they make some really great fucking jokes about all of this stuff. Um, They're like, I think we would know if there's a volcano off our coast. Um, (laughs) And then they just leave it at that. Uh, So we've got this. 
this sort of like Escher, like MC Escher style biome layout for Crystal Cove. And which is, by the way, the most hauntedest place on Earth, (laughs) the most hauntedest place on Earth where all of these like people just chronically dress up (laughs) in costumes to to like, okay, one of the greatest things this show does like, have you ever seen that Shaggy meme that has, like, Shaggy painted in, like, co- like USSR red and gold? And he's like, the only thing my, the only thing that these mysteries has shown me is that evil is men in masks trying to, like, steal a bunch of money. Right? It's basically, <laughs> like, supposed to be, like, a socioeconomic critique that all mm-hmm. of the, the only true villains are a bunch of old white dudes. Are people, yeah. Trying to be mm-hmm. rich. Um, mm-hmm. So they take that ethos and they they really go with it because mm-hmm. so many like so many times they're like people are just using these like costumes and also hyper tech that they just have <laughs> to 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 just like run insurance schemes mm-hmm. or. Uh, you know, like pollute the environment or keep their like keep their amusement park afloat. It's just like people trying to really roundaboutly game the economic system by creating terror. Yeah, I would do find think that it's worth noting that the only business owners in this show who do not prove to be villains are. Velma's parents and uh, Franklin Fruitmeyer. Every other business owner that we meet, Franklin Fruitmeyer isn't a villain. It wasn't him that was doing it. I know. Uh, in the first episode. Yeah. But no, 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 no. A uh, clam shack guy doesn't either. Oh, you know what? Clam shack guy's good too. Krusty? Is that what his is name? his name? No, that's not his name. Cap Captain something. What is his damn name? He's so funny. Um, and I also, it up. <laughs> and he's he's also voiced by somebody very famous. Uh, I'll, I'll remember Scooby Doo. I'll remember okay. very late at night, randomly. Yeah. But yeah, so so like it's very funny because people who are victims oftentimes show up later as villains. So yes. so it it's this weird town where literally everybody at one point dresses like random people. Like two incels dress up as like Oh my god, that episode is great. To to get girls to like them. Like this is just the way that Crystal Cove works. Like it's sort of like a zone of its own reality, which ends up being actually really important. It ends up being mm-hmm. a part of the overall mystery is this question, which is okay. That is brilliant world building. Like to take a cartoon where absurd things happen that you would expect in a cartoon and to invert that into, well, we know you're not supposed to ask like, why are there all these masked villains? Maybe you should have asked that question. And there's an actual answer to that question is really great. Really great subversion of expectation. So Crystal Cove, with all its weirdness, ends up being a part of a bigger mystery, Uh, a mystery that has a very long history, in fact. 
Yeah, definitely. And that's really interesting. His Spoiler. name is Skipper. His name is Skipper Shelton. Skipper Shelton. <laughs> yeah. And he is voiced by John O'Hurley. Exactly. See, famous person. Yes. He's uh like, yeah, I know it's Mr. Peterman, uh, is is his voice. And the character's hilarious because he's a sea he's an old skipper whose cl- whose nose was stolen by a clam. So he wears an eye patch over his nose and operates a clam restaurant so he can find the clam that stole his nose. He's... And it's really funny. And he never turns out to be a villain. He's just weird. He he he's generally a good guy. Good guy. So okay, I should say this. You should go watch the show if you nothing has really been super spoiled yet. We are going to be unable to continue without basically giving away the the show is a two season mystery, and and it, if you want to go watch it to see how it unfolds, you should. We are about to spoil it, like literally spoil the whole show. So if you don't want that, you should stop listening right now. By the way, the resolution to the mystery is not in any way what you expect it to be. It's actually a very good mystery um, that keeps you being like, what what the fuck is going on here the whole time? So, like, legitimately, if you don't want spoilers, you should stop listening. So I. Now that we've got that out of the way. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> let, I, let, before we get into the big mystery, there are a couple of things that I want to note that you could catch without the big mystery. Things that I've noticed about the show that I think are worth noting. Um, Number one, for some reasons that that really it's the second season. And actually, I note it as the moment Blue Falcon enters into play, the level of violence in the show goes from pre-Scooby-Doo to post-Scooby-Doo. Yes. So it's real-world violence happens. Like... The gang seems to be able to dodge bullets, but real bullets get shot, you know? Like, this is one of those things where Scooby-Doo always had that very anti-violence. Scooby-Doo has always been a part of those that list of shows where violence is not a thing. Mm -hmm. Even when, like, immersion-breaking lack of violence. Mm -hmm. So, it's interesting because of their other Hanna-Barbera cartoons were violent fucking looney tunes were more violent than the original scooby-doo yeah like people like get like drums pulled over their head and shit like that they always end up trapped somehow but not injured at all you know um which is basically how things are in this show too but at a certain point like guns become a thing and like real bullets get shot at people so and and not just that, but like the actual characters start exerting physical violence. So like Fred and Scooby Doo, and they all they 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 hit people with shields or their fists. And in in the in the episode where violence begins, it it's actually very funny to me because it's kind of like it actually is sort of a weird example of how when people were like 
oh, we don't want people to curse on TV. And and gradually that restriction got lifted because people kept pushing the envelope slightly. Like once you pop the lid, like once the seal is broken, it's broken. Yeah. That kind of happened here. Like once the, the Blue Falcon episode happened and the Blue Falcon was like as a joke, excessively violent. Like they, mm -hmm. they actually make a number of jokes about that, which and, and they're all very funny. But once that episode happens, the rest of the show is quite violent by Scooby Doo mm -hmm. standards. So yeah. they, they sort of broke the seal on that. And I think the reason they do that is because it's an easy resolution. And and at a certain point, like, well shit, if these kids can beat these people up, why do they try to solve the mystery? Just beat them up. Oh, man. I mean, yeah. So I, I agree that that's a thing. It's like it has like more violence to it than previous iterations of Scooby-Doo. I also think it has more legitimately dark content than previous iterations of Scooby-Doo, though, as well. Um, so I think that those things make sense together. Um, I, I, it also like really deeply addresses like. There were some previous iterations that did show them as younger people and show their home lives, but this really goes into like what kind of environment they're growing up in and they're all rich. They're all except for mm, I don't know about Velma. They're all varying degrees of wealthy. <laughs> I would uh, say like Daphne, then Fred, then Shaggy, then Velma in terms of wealth. Ve Velma is solidly upper middle class. Yeah, yeah. I mean, her parents own a major tourist attraction in town. But, so it's not like they're doing bad. But their house isn't a mansion. No, it's a normal, it's a normal upper middle class house. So I actually thought that was great because you're just like, how are these kids running around with like seemingly no regard for money? Well, it's mm -hmm. they're rich. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and interestingly... Um, like, I, I think their ability to just, like, seemingly pull resources out of their butts, but also to otherwise be pretty grounded, is, is very interesting in light of their wealth. Like, yeah, I think there's, like, also a degree to which there is, there's an accurate portrayal of how wealthy people often raise their kids. Um, which is like in an environment of benign neglect, um, you know, like they, they parent with money, like in the second episode, they get stranded just 20 minutes away from home. They have a car problem and none of them are able to even reach their parents in order to get picked up. These are children in high school. And they're stranded at night, just 20 minutes away because of car trouble. Uh, Shaggy can't reach his parents at all because it's still life night. Um, like Fred and like Daphne's parents, I think, are like out of town on something lavish. Fred's dad just doesn't give a shit. And I think Velma's parents are actually doing some kind of work or at a conference or something. So it's just like these, these are minor children, you know, and like. Their parents are just like, whatever, go somewhere. We won't be available to help you if you need it. I think another thing is that they, because they constantly involve themselves in quite dangerous intellectual work, 
<laughs> they they stay grounded because they are actually in danger a number of times and their their concerns are very worldly. So they have like a connection to real things, which yes. which makes them feel accessible to people who aren't rich. But I think that undercurrent of the fact that they always have resources available is is otherwise the show wouldn't work. Yeah. So I, I think it, that is like their parents can get them out of jail super easy Mm -hmm. and, and like they have money to just kind of throw around to make the kids problems go away. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so that's like, could you do this with like a group of like young African-Americans? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, it, it would, it just like, wouldn't be believable, which sucks. Yeah. Also, but like assuming, assuming, well, assuming the same level of wealth. Yeah. Well, I was about to say, assuming that this takes place in, Southern California, which is really the only location that even slightly makes sense. Um, a bunch of like white people in like a smallish town in Southern California, like really anybody in a smallish town in Southern California, like you're likely to run into a certain degree of wealth. <laughs> like it just it just takes a certain degree of wealth to live in that area. <laughs> you know, that's that that is true. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, this so you to me, this really stands out when. Okay, so there's a character named Hot Dog Water, Marcy, who's actually very interesting. She's she's very yeah. much a Velma type, but yes. you know she's frumpy, mm. and her her dad runs a struggling amusement park, and she tries to save it by dressing up as a manticore, mm -hmm. but because uh, she finds a super type of helium, which we'll get into the hypertech part, but. Mm -hmm. They, she's unmasked as a villain and they call her hot dog water because she works at the park. They call her, they say that she smells like hot dog water. And before this episode happens, Fred gives some kind of explanation about how when people wear wool clothes and don't shower after gym, there's a chemical reaction that can make them smell like hot dog water. But then... During the episode where she's the villain, there's this like really sad joke about how her dad, like they're so poor that her dad is reusing the water that they boil hot dogs in for them to bathe. And so she literally bathes in hot dog water and why she smells. And that's why she smells that way. And it's kind of funny, but it's also really sad. Yeah. Like, I was just like, damn, the like mm. these Fairly well-to-do rich kids are are making fun of this person's work. Mm -hmm. And like they're, you know, they're down on their luck. That mm -hmm. was pretty I was I was I kind of liked it because it's realistic to how teens are shitty. Yeah. Like Yeah, that, and it's like they like they also didn't know anything about that because they never took the time to like know her at all, you know? So it comes off as very like shitty of them. I think mm -hmm. I think it's supposed to. Like, I think it's supposed to yeah. like and, and that's one of the things that the show does really well is like these are flawed teenage characters. Mm -hmm. That's like Fred has issues. Daphne has issues um, like Shaggy has issues and even Velma like has some issues. So like they, they Velma has a lot of issues. <laughs> they, they have dimension. They have 
they have three dimensions. Yes, these characters are dimensional in a way that they've never been before, which is something I really like. They also introduce the fact that if teenagers are co-ed and in a group, mm-hmm. some of them are going to date. Well, it's interesting because I, it's kind of always been a part of Scooby-Doo that, whether it was explicitly said or not, that Fred and Daphne are a thing. Um, but not so much with Velma and Shaggy. And But people always ship it. People always ship Velma and Shaggy. And it's almost like the writers were like, all right, okay, you want Velma and Shaggy? Let's think about how that would actually go. And so when we start out this show, Velma and Shaggy are together and it's a disaster. And they break up within like five episodes and never get back together. Which, you know, and... and Fred is more okay. This is one of the greatest jokes that they make in this entire show, and and I and they don't, I they I think they made this show without knowledge of the internet. <laughs> Fred loves like sex, like he definitely has a romantic attraction to traps, like physical catch bad guy traps. And for those at of you, at some point, go ahead. Uh, at some point, he was reading a magazine called. Actually, at several points, he was reading a magazine called Traps Illustrated, and Daphne seemed horrified, and he spluttered that he only reads it for the articles. So, those of you like, unfortunately, like the reality is, is like on the internet, like trap is oftentimes used as a derogatory term for somebody who's transgender. Specifically, mm-hmm. um, MTF. Yeah, and particularly, people. like, it's usually used to refer to a trans woman who, quote-unquote, passes very well. Right. Um, and is attractive, yeah. So, that that's, like, the context, and, and that's something, like, 2010 is, is not, I, like, that has been a thing for a while, so... I don't think they like the context clearly dictates Fred's stuff has nothing to do with that. But yeah. it's still like happening in parallel with the real world, it's yes. still like very <laughs> like you it's, could... it's hilarious on its own and also the fact that it's like, oh man, I don't think you guys realized. It makes just makes it even funnier. So he's just like, oh I da- I love Daphne and I love traps. Like he he's definitely sexually attracted to traps. Yes. Oh, for sure. The physical like catch bad guy traps. So yes, yes. It's, it's just something that it 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 gets referenced every episode. Uh, something I like about uh, about Mystery Incorporated too is that all of the characters get to be funny. In the original Scooby Doo, really only Shaggy and Scooby got to be funny. Um, and everybody else was kind of a straight man. Whereas in this, everybody gets an opportunity to tell a joke or have a funny moment. And I, I really, excuse me, appreciated that. So that, that, that part is, is great. Um, I, especially what one thing that I think is also kind of running through the show that, previous incarnations haven't really had is they 
like the villains there's actual shit at stake in a lot of the mysteries mm-hmm. like there's like a lot of plots center around Destroido, which is a corporation based in Crystal Cove, which is just fucking great. Like the <laughs> the show is very environmental corp anti-corporate conscious. It is, for sure. Yeah. So like Destroido is posed as like this big company that pollutes and puts out terrible products and and has a ton of money. And a lot of mysteries revolve around Destroido. Yes. Yes, um, there, there, there's a lot of times where they've like, it, like it's just it really is driving a ver- a variety of points home about destructive corporations. You know, they've destroyed large swaths of the environment. Um, they've created a type of corporate sovereignty that's just been allowed for some reason, and so they like won't allow you onto their land without a passport that they issued, which insulates them from being investigated for things. Um, They have knowingly created and distributed products that have, like, extreme effects on people's, like, health and don't do anything about it. Um, There are products that appear to be environmentally conscious and nature-friendly, which are actually produced by Destroido um, and themselves are very harmful to the environment. You know, it's really, it's really just going in on it, really. It's like, corporations, they're not good, friend. (laughs) Like, they poison an orchard with lithium? (laughs) They mine lithium in Crystal Cove. Like, right in the city limits. (laughs) Like, there's no divide between industrial allocation and residential allocation. Who has zoned this city? (laughs) Fucking nobody. They're, like, they're they're sovereign. Um... (laughs) It's fucking great. Well, and it turns out Destroido is evil for a reason. Like, it turns out Destroido is run by an antagonist in the series, tied to the big overall mystery. Yeah, yeah. So I will say, like... So I think that we might want to start talking about stuff that's related to the main mystery and to just quickly, quickly summarize what it is. The gang starts getting anonymous, like, mysterious communiques from someone calling himself Mr. E. Uh, It's revealed that there was a previous club 30 years beforehand called Mystery Incorporated, who were just like them. They start calling themselves Mystery Incorporated. And slowly over time, more stuff comes out in drips and drabs. All of the original members of Mystery Incorporated come into play. Most of them are villainous in some way. And in the end, it all ties back to an ancient, inter- like, extra-dimensional evil imprisoned in a crystal sarcophagus beneath the town of Crystal Cove um, that must be destroyed. So that's the, that's the shortest possible version of this mystery. <laughs> well, and, and the evil of this being permeates and has touched everything in Crystal Cove since it was founded. Like, yes. Even, okay, this is the part I don't fucking understand. Spanish conquistadors settled in Crystal Cove. Well, that's part of it being everywhere and nowhere at the same time. 
Like, <laughs> I'm not talking about, like, like people who have Spanish descent who would be living in Mexico and who may have, like, been in Southern California at some point. No. Spanish fucking conquistadors, like, that, like, landed in the Americas with the Mayans. <laughs> Doesn't make any fucking sense. Everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> and, and so, like... This this entity has been around for, for over 5,000 years, trapped in this area, discovered by Spanish conquistadors, and it, it's just been, it's just what a wild ride. But anyway, this thing has permeated everything, and it's a Cthulian horror, so this is a big part of the modern, everybody loves, you know, the Lovecraftian style, right, which is creeping, maddening, cosmic horror five-dimensional being type shit creeping madness is a big quality of of lovecraftian stuff so we've got this entity that basically creates and twists history to to eventually get to free itself which is interesting because it gives explanations for everything that's happening all the way to the basics of like, why does the Mystery Incorporated gang, why do they become friends? Like, why did they form? Why did their predecessors form? Why did their predecessors form? And it's all this, why do people dress in fucking masks all the time? Oh, it's all because of this creature that I don't think is ever given a name. No, it, it the closest that there is to being given a name is um, Nibiru, but that's just the no. word for the end times. Yeah, well, also the Anunnaki. So when Nova, when Nova starts giving information to Scooby in dreams, um, she talks about the Anunnaki. She said that like we're like basically extraterrestrial, interdimensional beings. We have no physical form. We inhabit animals. We come periodically, like every. Every 5,000 years, um, I think it is, to help humanity grow. Um, and, like, the fact that we inhabit animals uh, is why some animals can talk and others can't, because our descendants can talk. Um, but the Anunnaki, what they are actually in reality is, like, they are the the pantheon of gods, who, like, worshipped in, like, the most ancient civilizations, like, of... Um, Egypt. Like, 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 no, like Sumer, um, Sumer, uh, Babylonia, uh, I think like, 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 um, the Assyrian and, uh, yeah, like the Assyrians and Akkadians also worship, like they were the, their, the Anunnaki were their gods. Um, so like, that's crazy. Uh, yes. They do kind of look like Egyptian gods the way that they're portrayed in the in the show, though. Yes, you guys heard that right. Scooby-Doo, the lovable oaf that we always have known and loved, ends up in this show eventually fighting cosmic gods. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, also, he's, a, he's some sort of demigod is the implication also. <laughs> this is great because, okay, up until the... The last half of the second season, right? The show, basically, they're like the mystery gang is trying to collect the pieces to a key or a map to a to a secret cursed treasure, which it's is a, a very, delightful. That's a very standard a, trope, right? 
Like, it's a delightful MacGuffin. It's called the Planospheric Disc. <laughs> so, like, it, it, it evokes shit like the Goonies. And, yes. like, all of these things people grew up with, like, ooh, cursed treasure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, and now that I think about it, the show lays tidbits of Cthulian stuff even before we know that the stakes are that big. Like, they... Oh, my God. I fucking... HP hate craft. Yes! <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, they go, like, to... Like, for, like, a college... Like, a visiting college weekend. And, like, there are professors at this college. There's a, a man called HP Hatecraft who um, writes uh, horror novels... The biggest of which is called uh, Chargar Gothicon, the beast that hath no name. Best fucking joke ever. Oh my god, it's so good. And he's in a rivalry with uh, another professor called Harlan Ellison that I was having a much harder time figuring out who he's supposed to be. Chris, did you were you able to put your finger on who exactly he's supposed to be? I, I feel like some kind of like... um. Heinlein or something, you know, he wrote or a Bradbury, you know, like he writes speculative fiction rather than like horror. Um, you know, he's a bit like more grounded in, in reality and he has less of a mystique about him. And he thinks that hatecraft is a hack, you know, and they like are like, you know, like fight each other. <laughs> Uh, and it's pretty entertaining. But so they lay the groundwork for that theme, that kind of mm -hmm. aesthetic early on, yes. which yes. is which is actually great because it kind of like inculcates itself before like it kind of gets kids ready for the that kind of style before they make their villain that way, which I think is actually yeah. very smart. Yeah. So yeah. We've got we've got. That basically, they're fighting Professor Pericles, the former mascot of, like, a mystery group like them. Yeah, of the original been, Mystery Incorporated. Like, that their parents' era would have been. And, and they're basically, like, racing to find pieces of the planospheric disc. So it seems like a very standard, like, oh, we've got to stop the evil parrot from getting the cursed treasure, blah, blah, blah. And they, and they they drop illusions that it could destroy Crystal Cove, but you never really get a sense that it the stakes are really that big. And then halfway through the second season, shit just goes from like zero to 60, man. Underwater sea labs with Nazi robots, not literal Nazi robots, but they have goggles and helmets and speak in German accents. The aesthetic is there. It, yeah. It, it's just very hard to read it. Not like that as an adult yeah. with the brain. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They, it's interesting because it's like, there's this whole, it's in season one still, you start to realize that there's some kind of element of maybe like, reincarnation or returnal, uh, eternal recurrence or something going on because this idea that this has all happened before keeps being mentioned and they keep finding all these different groups of four humans and like an animal mascot usually two girls and two guys throughout the last 500 years in the area they all solve mysteries 
you know and so you're like it has you being like oh like i wonder what that's about like what exactly is is going on here and it's still they're just giving you dribs and drabs little bits of information but then it starts to like suddenly deeply ramp up in you know like it's still not enough information to figure out what the fuck is going on but suddenly you're like like seriously what is happening this is getting really bizarre because that's when you first start to hear the world the word nibiru people start dying sacrificing themselves getting shot at and and it goes from oh this was this is not about a cursed treasure to oh this is about an evil like twin peaks gets put in there and that's when dream shit gets really big like you learn about the history of these interdimensional beings and really the best part is that velma has like a fucking breakdown Yes. <laughs> Which yes. I, I fucking love because because mm-hmm. it, it also is that is very Lovecraftian because the first people to lose their fucking shit in any Lovecraftian story are smart people because they want to make things make sense. Yeah. And those things are supposed to be unknowable. They, they just can't make sense. So she's just like, what is going on? I've believed in science my whole life. and ah, It's great. Yeah, she remembers, she eventually gets it together because she remembers string theory, <laughs> you know, and is able to be like, oh, and like, then she's the one, she still ends up being the one that figures out what's going on because she applies science to it, which is really great. I wonder, um, I wonder if the people who came up with quantum mechanics and string theory understood the favor that they were doing for science fiction writers. I know, right? <laughs> like, it is the ultimate MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Definitely. It's just like, do you have plot holes? Not anymore. You have dimension holes. <laughs> I've, I've got a dimension hole. Do you want to see it? And you just it's open like, it. I've got a dimension hole the size of California in this story, and I think the kids are going to eat it up. <laughs> Alternate worlds, man. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's something I really enjoy, but it's, it's like, it, it's a lot of the intentional themes of the show are like very traditional sweet themes about like friendship and the power of heart and sticking together. Um, and how like, if we just stick together and like really care about each other, we can do anything and it will all be okay, which is like... Kind of boring in this day and age. I felt But like I guess was... it's still, I don't know, it's for children, so. <laughs> they, they, they had one of two options. Magical mm-hmm. MacGuffin or friendship. Yeah. Yeah, and they went like, for, they, they went for your classic poor hugs on the problem, which like is, is well respected. Just ask Stephen Moffat, you know. Ask Stephen Universe. <laughs> Yes, that's literal hugs poured on the problem. Because, <laughs> like, I don't know, once you introduce Elder, like, there there are a couple different ways to go, but it's like once they they close, they, they, it's, they pull the solution right out of sort of like the Lovecraft's playbook, like you shut the portal, you kill the cultist, you stop yeah. the ritual. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, the whole world is going to end and you're not going to stop it. So they, yeah. they and, and love is the key they use to to carry out that strategy. But you know, 
It works. It Yeah. I the only other solution would have been something too complicated for the show. Yeah, that's true. That's it would, true. It wouldn't have worked in in the type of show that they were making. Yeah. Yeah, which is like like really like I can't really stress enough really well made like a really really well done show like the plot like like the even the first time I watched it there was never a moment where I was like oh come on really this is what we're doing now I was like oh no okay yeah this is definitely that makes sense that makes sense what are they gonna do about it this is a problem you know it's just like they go to a fucking Mayan temple in the jungle to get a special spear called the heart of the jaguar and then later it turns out that they were the heart of the jaguar all along and I'm just like yeah okay like I'm with you 100% um it's actually that's very this is where Stephen King comes into play because they basically do the same thing that they did in it. Yeah. Yeah. This is just it. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, the, like it's just it. <laughs> like if you've read or seen it, they kill they they deal with the monster the same way they deal with it. Uh I mean like also like but it's also like Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia and like any number of other things where like a group of innocents confronts a great evil, you know, always the way, like always a critical part of confronting the great evil is, is, is the very innocence that you thought hamstrung the group, right? Yeah. It's what we value as a society. <laughs> so we've got, um, and the show is definitely not afraid to go there. I mean, Hot Dog Water gets assassinated off screen. Literally, like, it's shot. really by, sad. Like, shot by robots. Yeah, but I guess in the end, because they, like, hit the reset button on the universe, um, she's not dead anymore. And Dude, she had a much nicer life. This part is fucked up. When, <laughs> when I saw it, I could not believe that they were doing that. Like, I was like, surely this is not how they are going to leave it. Because basically, when they they remove the entity, it is as if it never existed in the first place. So all the evil and, con like, scheming that it had done around Crystal Cove, none of that happened. Crystal Cove isn't a place where people dress up in masks. It's the sunniest place on Earth. So... The lives of our our heroes are completely different and people basically like everybody's lives are different. Some people are married and have kids. Other people don't really like Velma and Hot Dog Water might be dating. Yeah, that was very gay. <laughs> it was very gay. Um, That's my girl. Yeah, uh, I was like, OK, so they're dating. <laughs> I it's it, it's just like oh they saved the world and now their lives are not their own that's dark as fuck yeah it's upsetting like it's a bad time they deal with it surprisingly well they but they I think that's what's great is the show doesn't shy away from that like just cause you won doesn't mean things are good 
Yeah. And well, then it's really fun because it's like, so they get a note from, huh, Mr. E. And it turns out to be Harlan Ellison, who says because his his mind is very attuned to dimensional fluctuations because he writes so much speculative fiction. Um, And that like they've somehow all like flipped the time stream together and remember the way the other things and that he's um, saved a space for him in his class this fall in this really prestigious university that's all the way across the country. And so Fred says, we'll get in the car and we'll get in the van and we'll drive there and we'll solve every mystery we come across along the way, which makes you go, wait, I thought this all happened after the events of the original series. Is it maybe happening before the events of the original series? Which is great because multiple dimensions. Um, it is both happening after and before the events of the original series. <laughs> you know, and, and personally, if I, if a kid watched this show, I would have faith as a nerd that they would grow into a savvy consumer of science fiction. Yeah, definitely. And, and horror. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, it really like, is. It is really it, like baby's first sci-fi horror. I wish know? that I had had this show to watch when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It would have gotten me to some of my my loves earlier. Yeah, definitely. Like, and like we were big Scooby-Doo people in our household. We watched a lot of fucking Scooby-Doo. I, God, they're like in the morning after school. Mm-hmm. So much Scooby-Doo. I All watched, the time. Like hex, like oh, the hex girls are in the show. Yes, so good. We're the hex girls. <laughs> um, God, I'm trying to think about how, but the hex girls are great. They're in every iteration of the show since the hex girls movie came out in '99. But mm-hmm. this version, I really wanted them to reference the fact that uh, what's her face is a witch, but they never really do. I, I, I kind of didn't like that. But whatever. Well, they acknowledge that their music is actually magic. Yeah, I guess they do because they have a magic battle. Yeah, against the ska zombies. Which, the scombies, that, if you will. That episode is so fucking great. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, the, the, this group of ska musicians is putting, like, they're using their music to make people skank themselves to, like, exhaustion. Like Dancing Plank. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, that's another thing about this show that I really appreciate. It's so funny. Like, it's so funny. You will sit in your living room by yourself and laugh out loud at this children's television show. It's, like, much funnier than any of the other Renaissance shows that we've watched, actually. And I those shows are funny you know but this show is really really funny i think they do a really good job of i don't it feels like this is also a show it's both for new viewers but it's also like a love letter to people who watch the original show as kids in the 90s you think the 90s specifically yeah well late 80s 90s because it like I, I I could see an original fan liking it, but I feel like it does have kind of a modern sensibility of play. Yeah, like you think even like, you know, sort of like 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 the Rambo references and stuff like that, I you think, know? I think older people could enjoy it. I just don't know if it was made 
for the them. Mo- the most for them. Sure. Yeah, definitely. The, but this, it's just full of, in addition to like big laughs, it's full of like all kinds of little jokes that are just hilarious. Like one you uh, texted me about because it's just so great is there's a restaurant called, it's a seafood restaurant and it's called the crab net of Dr. Calamari. <laughs> Which, so the, one of one of the original breakout films into the horror genre is the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Cal- uh, Caligari. Caligari, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they make a really obscure, in modern terms, horror reference in the show, which is just fucking great. I saw it. I saw it immediately, and I laughed out loud for like thirty seconds. Yeah. Well, there's the whole character of Vincent Van Gogh, who is a in one of the movies from the '90s, but is a very different character in this. And it's all an homage to Vincent Price, to like classic B horror from like the '50s. You know, um, that they reference a lot. Like they, they like reference deep 20th century pop culture like your grandparents pop great grandparents pop culture in this show and then they have stupid like little jokes like there's this like very sexy assassin type villain that tries to shoot them with stuff and she keeps pulling guns grenades and bows out of nowhere and (laughs) she's got like a like a skin tight cat suit on and shaggy's Mm -hmm. just like where does she keep getting these weapons she doesn't have any pockets like, like that up and has no pockets. <laughs> it's just like they play, they somehow take what they're doing seriously, but also just like recognize the absurdity of the setup. Yes, yes, it's great. It's like they treat it with like, it's it's so it's so lovingly done. It's done with so much love for Scooby-Doo. You know, it's so just gent- like perfectly treated with like so much humor and and so much belief that it can be something with more dimensions and like more interesting but also the idea that like it's scooby-doo so you can like really go for it you know you're not constrained by the same rules that you would be other places and it's like i think it's really great like i think like anybody to say like it's the death of scooby-doo i'm just like what are you talking about (laughs) you know it's like this is this is a this is a love letter to Scooby-Doo. Like it couldn't be more clear that the people who made this really really love Scooby-Doo, you know? No, I I totally agree. I think there would probably be somebody who's like tradition. Mhm. Tradition. Scooby-Doo's supposed to be simple, non-violent vanilla ice cream. Well, it's like, you know, my mom didn't really care for 13 ghosts. Because uh, Scooby-Doo doesn't have real monsters, was what she said. Um, and I think that this this show actually really toes that line really well. Um, the idea that, like, oh, Scooby-Doo doesn't have real monsters. Because it's like, like, the idea it's like, well, there are real monsters. Like, just a few. <laughs> you know, there are just a few real monsters. And maybe they're the reason for all the fake monsters. And Velma at one point just like was like, we just got too used to crazy criminals dressing up in masks. Well, and and, and one of those things is like the 90s run for kids had a bunch of like, you know, there's the the witch's ghost and zombie island. So they I as kids, I think I got used to seeing like their real 
monsters and then there are not real monsters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but um honestly, it's like I I like I could probably go on about like Americana and the kind of like timelessness of Crystal Cove and the different political archetypes that they show in some of the villains, especially in season one and about different pop cultural references that I really like. But like, I really wouldn't have anything particularly profound to say about any of those. You know, mostly this show is just really fucking entertaining. Just really, really entertaining. And there's not a single hint of Scrappy-Doo. Okay, they except. see actually, except in the in the wax museum where they have all of the like figures of all of their previous villains. At one point, they turn and they see Scrappy Doo. It's Velma. Uh, it's Daphne and Fred, and they're like, "Oh God, what is it?" And and Fred's like, "Look away, uh, Daphne. We said we'd never speak of it again," <laughs> which is just fabulous. It really is. Real heads hate Scrappy Doo. Yep, they they really do. I I remember talking about it with Blake for the first time, and he's like, "I didn't realize that you had such strong opinions on Scrappy Doo." And like anybody who's anybody has strong opinions on Scrappy Doo, friend. Um, I, 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 I don't really have a ton left i i think i can really sort of just say that this is worth a watch for everybody out there yeah and and i would say it's like it's not that we don't have a lot to say because there's not a lot there it's more that like this is such well-known quote-unquote ip you know, it's been there's so much Scooby Doo and everyone knows it so much that you like you mostly just talk about like how is it different from Scooby Doo? <laughs> like from other Scooby Doo, you know, so I would say definitely it's really really engaging. It really does a lot of great stuff with the with the property. It's so funny and the animation is really beautiful. I really like the animation. Well, okay, I really like the art style. The animation is also really good. You can tell that they had money. It's very smooth. They did have money. Like, real money. Like, a lot of money. It's very smooth. It looks really good. So, yeah, no, like, they don't reuse frames. Oh, they, did you see the reference in the very last episode where they do the original Scooby-Doo run? Oh my gosh, do they do it where like the, the like bongos run? <laughs> yeah, like the same one where like they they kind of run stiffly like their 1969 counterparts. Oh, no, I didn't notice that. Oh, it's fucking great. Oh man. I was thinking that you meant the one where your legs like paddle in place a lot and there's no, bongos. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's the it's the run they do in like the opening credit like OP. Oh, okay, that's fun. As, yeah. as a group. Also, in case you were wondering, yes, somebody does say, I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids. And every single episode, whenever they pull the mask off, they all in unison say, Chris! 
just like in the original series, and Scooby and Shaggy do get into drag once in each season. Yeah, but what is great is that they say it differently every time. What so do you they, mean? They, they play with you meddling kids. They'll do, oh, yes. They'll do yes. jokes with it a lot. Yes, yes. And it's always funny. Yeah. Um, also... How do you feel about George Avocados? George Avocados, a.k.a. George Avocado. Wait, Avocados. Avocados. <laughs> um, he's, he's great to hate on. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I know that we were just kind of wrapping it up, but there is one thing, one thing that I think that, Chris, you might have something to say about, and I want to give you the opportunity. I'd be remiss if I didn't. Fred's parents. All three of Fred's parents. Awful. <laughs> Terrible. His his fake dad basically Mare dad <laughs> steals him from his real parents. But his real parents are pieces of garbage. Mm-hmm. That's right, Brad. You said it, Judy. <laughs> They're very Brady Bunchy. But in like yeah. a sinister way. Yeah. And they yeah, get plastic surgery to look like old Daphne and Fred. And young they, old Daphne, young Fred. And they don't get changed back, which is, a, Destro- which is hilarious. It destroys their marriage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such a great bit. <laughs> oh, man. Because, yeah, Pericles just won't change them back. Won't won't get the surgery done on them again, which is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. Yeah, but it's just like, wow, the examples of parents in this show just trash all of them. All of the parents. Well, Velma's mom is all right. Um, Her dad is somewhat absent, but it's most most the reason that her dad is not there very much actually is because he was being voiced by Casey Kasem, the original Shaggy. And he it was his last role before he died. So he was in ill health um, a lot during the run of the show. So he couldn't be there a lot to do a lot of Velma's dad, you know, Uh, which is why he's kind of absent. But like Velma's parents are okay. Everybody else's parents are garbage, particularly Fred's parents. All three of his parents are villainous. He's just in like a den of villainy and treachery, literally. Which which is kind of um, very sad. Yeah, Fred. I know. Poor Fred, right? He, He's remarkably well-adjusted, given what's happened. Well, he is as well. Ad- it's implied that his love of trapping is genetic. Yeah. Because <laughs> his parents are trap masters. Yeah, they own a traps company. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, basically, poor Fred. I don't know. I like I almost don't want to say too much about that either because it will like spoil what things we haven't already spoiled <laughs> for anyone who's keep who's still listening. Um Yeah, I don't know. That's about it. That's all I have. It's really entertaining. I really think you it's ooh, it uh stops being on Netflix on the 13th of December though. So I don't know where it's gonna be after that. Um it is a Cartoon Network property. And they do have a lot of properties on Hulu 
However, some of their more recent stuff they've never updated. Like We Bear Bears still only has two seasons on Hulu. What? Yeah. You have to like seek out all the other seasons elsewhere. Um, I hear hear that the ocean is nice this time of year. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You know, like who knows? But uh, yeah, so I don't know who knows where it's going to be. But uh, for the next 13, the next 13 days, it is still available to watch on Netflix. Um, So you should definitely do that, in my opinion. I agree. Get 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 to it. <laughs> it's only fifty two episodes, so you can definitely watch it in the next thirteen days. It would definitely require your effort, though. Yeah, you'd have to try. <laughs> but uh, all in all, I give it a thumbs up. Definitely. Um, so I would like to say, as we move forward, it's unlikely that we're going to get another episode out before the end of the year. With all of the holidays, um, you know, we can we can try, but it's just it just seems unlikely this time of year is really challenging to um, do anything like this. Uh, we don't have a super clear, like defined, determined list of stuff that we're absolutely going to do in a particular order for this season. So like we've been saying, uh, if you have anything that you want to recommend to us that you think belongs in this category that you'd really like to hear us talk about, now's the time. Let us know. Um you can let us know on Facebook, where we're Animates Podcast. You can let us know on Twitter, where we're at Animates. You can let us know via email if you're an old person. We're Animates at gmail.com. They've got the numeral eight in there instead of the letters A-T. Please give us an email. Uh, you, you know what? Actually, if you want, you can even you can even write a review of this podcast in which you say, I think that you should cover X show. Um, you know, uh, just let us know if you have anything that you, uh, that you want us to talk about. We would really love to hear from you. I agree. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that just about covers it. Uh, what do you think, Chris? I'm good to go. (laughs) So until next time, I've been Paige. And I've been Chris. And this has been Animates.